The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. All of these path factors, you know, you have experienced by now perhaps realizing that all of these are just various ways that we are addressing the three unwholesome roots of greed, aversion, and delusion that cause so much trouble for us. And we're approaching them in all these different ways, looking at all the ways that greed, hatred, and aversion, uh, greed, aversion, and delusion play out in our lives. So um, we're cultivating our minds and hearts towards freedom. So Gil was saying in his Dharma talk earlier today that we're, we're always looking at this fork in the road one fork in the road takes us towards more freedom and the other fork in the road takes us towards more suffering or stress. So um, as we've done each of these months' factors, we can see where we are, we've chosen or we find ourselves in the grip of something unwholesome and when we find ourselves cultivating something wholesome. So that's the fork in the road. And um, we're going to continue on that theme very much so with this factor. But before we get into it, I want to just make a comment about vocabulary. So if you're like me and you've spent your whole life striving a little too hard, right effort can sound too pushy or too heavy, like, oh no, not effort again. So instead of thinking of it as effort, we might want to think of it as just whatever the right amount of doing is called for in in certain situations, or the right method of paying attention. So um, sometimes it takes very little doing. To, we just need to do enough to begin meditating and continue meditating, to begin being mindful and continue being mindful. Um, so if you're a striver, you might think of this as just the gentlest level of doing. If, on the other hand, you're someone who tends not to have the problem of striving, but you drift into fogginess or kind of bliss out, then maybe you could think of it as what level of doing is required to keep myself present and to keep um, looking at what's happening right here and now. So the, the next factors that we'll study as well, we might think about you know the, the words a little bit, next month when we get into right mindfulness. The word mindfulness is bandied about quite a lot, but next month we'll get to study, you know, what do we mean by mindfulness? What are the aspects of it that really, what are we doing? How are we doing it? And then finally, uh, the month after that, when we get to right concentration. Concentration is another word that can feel really uh, striving to a lot of people. So we might think of that as the mental cultivation of collecting the mind around a focus or stabilizing the mind. Um, really, it's, it's something that we do all the time, but we're trying with these mental cultivations to use these three capacities for just the right amount of doing, paying mindful attention to things, and collecting our attention around what we are paying attention to here and now. Um, you know, we set out last fall, this, this whole framework of the Eightfold Path, we set out last fall um, looking at what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, right view. Why are we looking at this? Because we suffer and we stress. 
And what are the ways that we can move forward, even from the very initial intention to shape our experiences towards the wholesome and away from the unwholesome. And we studied that with right intention, you know, getting away from harming and um, ill will and grasping into more helpful factors of kindness and compassion and letting go. So maybe you've noticed that these things are all woven together. They're not linear. They're not sequential. Each, you know, it, as you've been studying each one, maybe you've been using a little bit of all of the others while you've been studying it. So you wouldn't have even known what, uh, how your speech was or how your actions were or how you're producing and consuming in the last three months if you weren't already mobilizing some helpful level of effort some helpful level of mindfulness, and some helpful level of focus on it, right? So um, you're, you've also been doing this for a reason, and you've been trying to set in motion some wholesome factors. So um, I'm just curious, before we get started today, wh- how are these integrated and interwoven path factors affecting your meditation so far? Do you notice any ways that it is motivating your meditation any differently, um, how you're doing what you're doing. So I'd welcome any observations before we get started with this issue of right effort. So does anybody have any comments or reflections? And we'll pass the mic uh, on what, you know, how is this, all these path factors that we've been studying, how have they been affecting your meditation? I think one thing... Is this working? It is. I think one thing that's been true for me is that I've learned to kind of widen back on the words like right speech and right livelihood, especially right livelihood, and looking at the different factors that are covered in the literature that we've been reading. um, It really opened a much wider sense of what livelihood is. Because at first I thought, oh, yeah, work, you know, whatever, I'm retired. But um, looking at it from all the different angles, and I won't, I'll forget in the middle, so I won't name them all, but um, it's just been, um, well, eye-opening and uh, very pleasant, really to learn a a much broader view of what livelihood is all about. Great. Thank you. Maybe just pass the mic and let people keep passing until someone feels moved to share. Yeah, I've especially been trying to bring a certain practice into my daily livelihood. And... I can't remember to do it without setting out in the morning with the intention to do it. So those two help each other. And then doing it seems to be pretty skillful effort because it makes me really happy. And it also has put me in the mood to try, for me, much longer meditation sessions where um, my daily practice was 20 minutes 
And now sometimes it's an hour and a half. So everything's working together. Great. Thank you. Um, I think for me, right intention is the one that I keep coming back to in all the different factors. So just constantly asking myself, what is my intention when I'm doing different things? Um, I've really enjoyed studying the Eightfold Path. Um, it's my first time round, so I hear it takes a while. Um, for me, patience is something to cultivate. And right speech was the most challenging for me so far. But um, right livelihood was really eye-opening. But as I went into right livelihood, I relaxed my right speech, and I felt them intertwine and be able to get a better understanding of right speech while studying right livelihood. So that was really nice. Sit back. Well, I really appreciate the sharing. Um, do, do you, any of you want, thank you very much for those uh, observations of what's happening. You know, you can see certain path factors call to you, the process of stepping back, the process of being patient. You know, these are lifelong studies, and in fact, um, we may have mentioned this earlier on that the Eightfold Path is also the expression of liberation. It's not just the techniques we use to become freer and freer. If you became a Buddha, you'd be practicing the Eightfold Path. So it's really good to um, just continue to engage in it and see what emerges. So um, I want to give Tanya a couple minutes to introduce herself, you know, to say who she is and, you know, how she's joining us this month. And then I'll do a little guided meditation and I'll introduce um, some preventative measures that we use with right effort and she'll introduce the cultivation methods of right effort. So you're in for a treat. But. I'm happy to be here with you. Um, practicing. The path is all about practicing to me. You know, it's not a philosophy, but it's a way of meeting life, meeting our experience. So it's a great opportunity for me to engage the teachings and practice with you today. So I'm um, not sure what else matters about me, but um, sometimes it's helpful to know a few things. So I'll just share um, that in my uh, livelihood, I'm a therapist. And um, I am a student of Gil Fronstel and Andrea Fellas and have been through a number of training programs with IMC and currently as well. And I'm a mentor in this program. So thank you for allowing me to be with you today. So um, just allowing yourself to get comfortable for a brief meditation. We'll meditate for about 15 minutes, and this will be a guided meditation. So first, just allowing yourself to settle and find a comfortable, alert, relaxed way to be. 
And to allow yourself to settle, allowing the mind to settle a little bit from arriving here and hearing, you know, brief introduction. And just letting your body sit here with some ease, whatever amount of ease is available to you. this guided meditation we're going to have an opportunity a little bit to explore just in a very easeful way maybe what's the minimum amount of doing necessary to be here and to meditate So much of it is simply being here, aware of what's going on, noticing anything and everything that's presenting itself to your attention and allowing yourself to be easy with that. Sometimes when we first sit down to meditate, the first awareness is of what we've been carrying with us, of whatever distractions are still present with us, and just allowing those to be there with your attention. Your kind attention helps body and mind settle into here and now. Allowing yourself simply to receive what's happening, receive what's coming to awareness. And just notice it. Perhaps noticing what's the kindest way for you to steady your attention and collect your attention or your awareness. 
For some people, uh, it can be just being kind towards the fact that the mind sometimes wanders off or sometimes has some preoccupations present. We can be present with that and not push it away, but simply notice any time the mind drifts to something else, notice where it's gone before gently coming back. Are you aware? If you can answer yes, then simply noticing what the mind is aware of. And perhaps noticing how you're relating to what you're aware of. Maybe letting your awareness receive a little bit of a sense of what the quality of the awareness itself is. Is it distractible? Is it clear? Is it foggy? 
Is it contracted? Is it calm? Just letting the mind receive whatever's arisen and whatever quality of awareness comes with it. No need to do anything, simply noticing. Maybe noticing what the flavor is of what is arising in the mind. Is the mind wanting more of something? Is it pushing something away a little bit, resisting it a little? Is it not quite clear, not quite knowing what's happening? Or is it is it equanimous, kind of, okay with whatever's arising and and seeing it clearly. Noticing whatever level of doing or not doing is present. And perhaps experimenting with these last couple of minutes of the meditation with doing nothing. And just seeing how that is.
So, um, any comments about what it was like to try doing nothing in your meditation? So I've been working on that a lot because I read a wonderful story where a young student goes to see a master and the master says, I'm going to make tea. Sit. Don't wait. Just sit. And I, I've been really trying to to take that on. So I'm, I'm sort of on that boundary between, you know, am I doing this? Am I not doing this? Am, am I breathing my breath or is my breath breathing me? And I'm like right in the middle. And today I'm really sleepy. So it was more like, am I dreaming my dreams or are my dreams dreaming me? And then they, they go away and they would come back. Thanks. Other experiences with doing nothing? Yeah. Hello. Is there? Yes. I was doing something. I was listening to you. And I was, what a conflicting feeling. I'm supposed to do nothing. (laughs) But I'm listening. And then suddenly, um, this kind of a, Dichotomy took over. And I say, and then suddenly just poof, drop it. And I felt, I was already trying to meditate, my mouth open like this a little bit. But then something on the gum, the root of the teeth, just, uh, it totally relaxed. Sorry. Relaxed and say, oh, that's it, step one maybe. <laughs> and then, then what's interesting? the conflict of listen uh, disappeared a little bit <laughs> and I was able to follow. And the, the last two minutes was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had a curious thing happen that's happened before me, to me in meditation where um, like I kind of felt like maybe I couldn't feel my legs and I was tempted to like twitch my toe to be like, oh, are they still there? But like, I know they're there. But it was like, maybe it's just a feeling of nothing. But then I kind of like, was like, okay, I'm doing nothing. And then I could maybe feel them a little bit, you know. But it was like, it was strange where it's just like, I don't know, kind of like sort of a disappearing feeling. I don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> I was really surprised that um, I I welcomed doing nothing. At first, I kind of didn't know, you know how that was going to go, but it's like I had permission to do nothing, and it was wonderful. Um, that was a big surprise. <laughs> Great. So I really appreciate uh, those observations and just how much you could notice with doing nothing as a reference point. You know, that sometimes it's a reference point. Oh, wait, I am doing a little something. Or it can be that feeling of something dropping away or just permission that suddenly, you know, you actually are just being instead of doing. Um, So maybe you can have some fun with that uh, in your meditations this month. 
doing nothing. As uh, we explore this continuum of how much doing is necessary for right effort. And, you know, the reason I'm saying it's a continuum is maybe you realize this. There is no one right effort. So sometimes if you sit down to meditate and you've been really preoccupied with other things in your life or uh, maybe you haven't been meditating as often as you want, maybe you've noticed that it takes some real doing to keep bringing the mind back again and again to whatever object of meditation or even to what's happening right here and now instead of you know, what you've been thinking about or what you've been doing. So sometimes it can take a lot of doing Maybe other times you've, you've done, you know, maybe you've done several sittings already in one day and when you sit down to meditate, it feels like it takes very little doing. You're already present, you're already mindful. So to keep that in mind, we're studying, you know, how much energy, basically, does it take? What level of energy does it take in any particular moment or on any particular day? in any particular sitting, or even in your daily life, how much energy does it really take to have you at a level that's paying attention to what's happening right here and now and is wholesome for you? So this right effort really involves our cultivating and seeing how we can cultivate wholesome states on purpose. You know, we can be conscious of noticing what, what's happening when we're sitting and whether it feels wholesome or healthy or not. What, what we're doing in our daily life and whether what we're doing or the consequences of what we're doing feel wholesome or not wholesome. You know, this is, you've been studying this for a number of months now. Um, and by the way, this doing that I'm talking about can be as simple as noticing you know, in the meditation when I said, are you aware? And you could, in that moment, just notice whether you were aware, how your awareness was. Um, I am really struck by uh, teaching that Sayada Utejaniya, the Burmese teacher, gave at one retreat that I went to with him. He said, if you are tired at the end of a day of meditation, you're not doing it right. So that was really eye-opening. And what I took that to mean was, or what that meant to me over time was, this faculty of noticing of the amount of effort that we actually need to do this mindfulness is really, it come, it's very natural faculty that we have, and it really doesn't take much at all to be aware. In fact, sometimes, if maybe you've had the experience of actually even being aware while you were asleep, or you're sitting here and, and going, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm asleep right now. You know, so awareness is functioning at very, sometimes a very low efforts of, uh, low effort level, low energy of doing. Um, so energy is the mental factor behind this idea of right effort. And I think maybe you've noticed what happens when you sit down to meditate when there's too much energy coursing through your body. You know, maybe you've uh, had the experience of being restless, wanting to get up and go do something else, like, oh, I need to send that email. Um, or there's too much energy and you, it's difficult to sit still, or there's all kinds of mental things that can take off. Or maybe you've noticed what happens when you sit there and there's too little energy. 
Maybe you can feel how that heaviness or dullness takes over. So, you know, energy can be applied in wholesome ways or it can be applied in unwholesome ways. It's, it's neutral. It's just going to go the way the mind is conditioned. So wholesome energy be, could be directed towards being kind to yourself and others. It could be directed towards self-discipline. It could be directed towards um, meditating, being mindful. You know, energy can be wholesomely used and you can feel that. Or it can be unwholesome, you know, if we try to control ourselves or pressure ourselves or other people or exercise power in inappropriate ways or, you know, uh, push too hard or if we're craving things or desiring things to be different than they are or not wanting them, you know, those are unwholesome applications of energy. So what we're doing with right effort is just sensing the level of doing that helps us take that fork in the road towards freedom from stress, freedom from suffering. Or priming ourselves to notice when something unwholesome is either up for us or is about to crop up. Um, It's it's really helping us take these uh, wise intentions of kindness, compassion, letting go into our hearts and minds. So um, the first two tasks uh, in this, in the suttas about right effort are preventing the arising of unwholesome states. So we can give ourselves a little preventative medicine here. And the second one is abandoning unwholesome states that have already arisen. Um, So I'm going to talk about those. And then in the second half of our day, Tanya will talk about uh, cultivating the wonderful states, the wholesome states, and keeping them going. So this this preventative medicine that I'm talking about, you probably already use these skills all the time and didn't think of them in this way. So preventing the arising of unwholesome states. When you were back in the month practicing right speech, Maybe there were times that you held your tongue, you know, that you were feeling impatient or tired and you were tempted to say something and you didn't say it. That's preventing the arising of an unwholesome state. Um, You have probably developed strategies for abandoning unwholesome states that have already arisen. So if you've ever found yourself beating yourself up about some mistake you've made, and you say to yourself, ah, you know what, it's not really going to help me to keep beating a dead horse here. Let me just let that go. I made a mistake. I'll do it differently next time. That was abandoning an unwholesome state that had arisen. So my guess is um, you do this all the time. If you've ever craved something that wasn't healthy for you, and you reminded yourself, yeah, you know, sure, I could binge watch that whole series of episodes on television, but I know that by the time I finish that binge watching, I'll be exhausted, and I won't actually feel any more relaxed than I do right now. I'll feel less good. I don't think I need to watch it. I've, I've become very fond of letting my DVR watch the television for me. So before I go on retreat, I'm DVRing, oh, I this and that and the other. And I come home and delete, 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 delete. <laughs> so the DVR watched television for me, and I got to be on retreat. So that's my favorite current form of abandoning an unwholesome state and not letting it arise. 
Um, so the unwholesome states are sometimes called the defilements or the five hindrances. And these are intentions, thoughts, and actions that don't have good consequences for us. They take the fork in the road towards more suffering and stress. And the wholesome states that Tanya will talk about are the ones that are unhindered, that take the fork in the road towards freedom. But first of all, we have to recognize those hindrances. Um, By the way, they've been conditioned in us a ton. So I'd like to advise that this process of just letting yourself notice as the first way to employ right effort is just this tiny amount of of doing involved in just being aware and just noticing. Because you are going to get to hang out plenty with the five hindrances. If you haven't already, make friends with them because they come up a lot. We've conditioned them unwittingly a ton. Um, They are the things that keep springing up or are prone to spring up because of this prior conditioning. And um, they are these classic five. The first two, uh, sense, desire, and aversion, otherwise known as ill will, are considered the most uh, powerful in blocking our path towards freedom, actually. With sense desire, um, we are, you know, we're surrounded by sense pleasures. There are sights, sounds, smells, tastes, the feel of things, and also thinking that thoughts are a sense pleasure. And, you know, we're not going to eradicate these from our lives. The thing, we're not trying to avoid the fact that there are sensations going on out there. It's what we do with them when they enter the mind that is the hindrance part. Um, So those are, you know, sense pleasures coming in that we feel pleasant about and we tend, the mind tends to get caught up in wanting more. And then the aversive part, the ill will part, are those unpleasant things that the mind gets caught up in wanting to push away. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to think that. Aversion has arisen. So those are the first two. The remaining three groups of hindrances are actually considered to be offshoots of delusion. So those three unwholesome roots that lead toward lack of freedom, you know, greed, aversion, and delusion, Greed, hatred, and delusion. Delusion takes these different forms. So delusion can take the form of what's called sloth and torpor. So low energy in the body. And this is not being sleep deprived. This is when the, the mind tends to go towards be getting drifting off, uh, getting sluggish, getting unclear, getting foggy. Sloth and torpor. The body's heavy, the body's sluggish. States of mind we can get into um, while meditating or while going about our daily life. A second set, restlessness and worry. That's when there's too much energy pinging around in the body in the form of could, could be anxiety, could be worrying about things, could be too much physical energy that wants to bounce up and go, you know, the, the classic one I've heard people say a million times is go clean the refrigerator. Personally, I've never had that particular impulse, but going to send another email, yeah, I've had that one. So when there's too much energy, there's restlessness or there's remorse. You know, there, there can be remorse for something you did and, ah, oh, you just, it's hard to let go. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. 
or um, worry about what might happen or what's going to happen. So that's restlessness and worry. And then the final uh, delusional hindrance that leads in the direction of delusion is doubt. And that is um, when we question ourselves or the teachings, you know, when we, we can't commit to sitting or we can't commit to our meditation practice. Or it's not, by the way, it's not healthy questioning. Healthy questioning is welcome. You're welcome to question teachers, teachings, you know, how you're practicing, the practices themselves. If those questions are things that you're curious to get the answers for, you know, you're in a state of inquiry. Doubt is not like that. Doubt is the kind of thing that has you thinking, eh, I just can't do this, and has you, inclines you towards stopping the practice or slowing down with the practice in unhelpful ways. So these are these five hindrances. Um, There are some very skillful ways to prevent or abandon these hindrances. And uh, Tanya Bruni and I, in January and February, taught a class called Unhindered Here that's recorded on Audio Dharma. And um, it, you can hear more about each hindrance by listening to those Audio, audio Dharma recordings and also hear guided meditations using one of the tools for preventing or abandoning these hindrances, which is uh, an acronym, BELLA, B-E-L-L-A, like beautiful in Italian. So um, I'd encourage you to listen to those audio dharma talks, but just briefly, um, I'll mention those that Bella technique um, as as we get into this. Um, by the way, if you click on the audio dharma link on uh, the IMC website, it will also pop up a list that includes five hindrances, and you can find a whole series of talks by Gill about these hindrances as well. So those are useful tools for learning how to get acquainted with these hindrances that are going to be uh, friends of yours for a while until you're, you're the Buddha. Um, so this, this um, I mentioned before, the sense, sense pleasures. One of the first tasks uh, to prevent the arising, preventing the arising of the hindrances, is called guarding the sense doors. So the sense doors are these things, sight, sound, taste, smell, feel, and thought, that we're bombarded with all the time. We're not going to try and get ourselves to stop experiencing the sense world. What this means is letting the mindfulness meet what's happening with these stimuli instead of just letting them drift into this conditioning we've done many times before with hindrances. Um, So it's what goes on after we receive the sensory input that we're concerned about. So if we have conditioned habits, for example, of um, the hindrance of sense desire, maybe when we're stressed out, the first thing we think about is, I'm going to go eat some chocolate, or I'm going to go have a drink, or I'm going to go binge watch some television, or I'm going to, some great sex would really take care of this stress right now. Then we, we can get caught in clinging to those sense pleasures. And if we, you know, every time we do that to self-soothe, we're conditioning more suffering from those. Or if we don't actually go do them, but we allow them, we don't meet them at the sense door with mindfulness and we kind of allow them to proliferate a little in the mind, we're just conditioning more of the same. So we'll get to experience it 
over and over again like the little hamster on the mouse wheel. We'll just keep spinning on the little hamster wheel of sense desire until we learn to to guard the sense door. Same thing with the sense door of, um, with the hindrance of aversion. If we're not guarding at the sense door, we might hear or see something that irritates us. Maybe we're driving in traffic and somebody cuts us off and if, if under stress we're irritable and we're not guarding the sense door, maybe we find ourselves feeling you know, crabby or swearing at the other driver or whatever it is that you do when you're stressed out and lo and behold, you're cultivating more uh, suffering. So um, the trick is to not grab onto and cling to these uh, senses unmindfully. You know, you can notice, first of all, something happens with one of the senses. You see something, you hear something, you smell something. You notice what it is, you name it, you start, you know, examining it in detail, thinking about it, enjoying it. This all happens, can happen really quickly because it's been conditioned. But um, by noticing with mindfulness what's arising at the sense door, you might catch yourself. Like if you're if you're hungry and you're on your way home from work and you're driving past a restaurant you really love, instead of going, oh yeah, that food, oh, it's so delicious and I'm just gonna, oh, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna, you know, eat a ton of that. Instead, you might notice, oh yeah, hunger and some craving, some sense desire, and you might be able to choose differently. You know what? I think I'll have a healthy salad for dinner. so abandoning the arisen unwholesome states, despite our best efforts, sooner or later you're going to find a hindrance has already arisen. You're already in an unwholesome state. So I mentioned this acronym that is in the recordings that you'll find under Tanya Weiser's name on Audio Dharma. Bella, B-E-L-L-A. So be, first of all, be. Be with the hindrance. Get acquainted with it. Know what it feels like. Be present with it. E, examine it. You know, get, take a look at it. Understand how it works, how it arose. L, lessen it. There are ways you can, can relax the body and mind. There are many techniques that you can do to lessen it. Let it go. Sometimes, you know, if, if you do a little bit of work, or sometimes you can just drop it. Just let it go. And A, so that's B-E-L-L and A, appreciate it when it's not present. Appreciate its absence. There are a lot more antidotes along these lines, um, and they're, they're kind of in the same vein, but sometimes you can uh, drop a hindrance by focusing on its opposite. So if you see somebody and their t-shirt slogan triggers you and you start feeling fearful or some negative thing, um, you can practice loving kindness right, right there. And, or if you had a crabby thought about another driver, may they be safe. May they be healthy. You know, you just cultivated its opposite. You know, if you're sluggy or sleepish during uh, sleep, sluggish or sleepy during meditation, you can cultivate the opposite by arousing some energy, sitting up straight, opening your eyes, standing up to meditate. That's really simple. You know, uh, abandoning an arisen unwholesome state. If restlessness and worry are interfering with your meditation, you might drop into the calm, soothing rhythm of the breath and pay attention to the breath. The breath. So then, then you're cultivating the opposite. 
Um, a second method that I think is really helpful is actually using any judgments or negative emotions to turn the mind away from the hindrance. So we can use these usefully. So I notice if a hindrance arises when I'm sitting and I'm thinking, oh, not a hindrance, I can actually use that like, oh, feeling in a positive way to say, oh, this is a signal from my mind to itself that a hindrance is here. And actually, this, this is, you know, meditation time is, as far as I'm concerned, I never get enough of it. And I never get to do it frequently enough. So this is precious time. So it can be kind of easy to use that to turn the mind towards a more mindful state. Um, sometimes we can just deliberately drop. We can abandon something uh, pretty easily after we've done some practice with it. I find the word abandon these days is enough. If a hindrance has arisen and I just bring the word abandon in, there's something about that word that to me just feels like I've just picked up something way too hot and I can just go, ah, drop it, just drop it. My husband and I, early in our marriage, realized that if we started to quibble with one another, we could just kind of go, do we really want to do this? No, you know, we just pushed the reset button, just boop, dropped it, didn't continue whatever the quibbling was, and just moved forward. It was really helpful. So just, you can just literally abandon something sometimes in that way. So another thing, finally, that you can do is you can just uh, look at the hindrance as a hindrance, as an object almost, feel the energy of it instead of getting caught up in the thinking of it, the pleasure, the, the unpleasant aspects of it. You can look at it as an object. So a lot of people do this with craving. You know, they feel that energetic movement of craving in their body and they just hang in there and watch or feel this energy of craving until it subsides whenever that happens. A, a final method that I will mention in passing, but I think you may recognize it from your own experience. It's usually a last resort, and I will say it just really doesn't work a lot of the time. And that's vigorously restraining an unwholesome thought or uh, hindrance by force of will. So I don't know about you, but I have found willpower to be increasingly useless in my life. It just doesn't work. I'd be better off befriending and noticing something than I would be doing that. So this is just an invitation to explore. There are all these rich methods for, being, for preventing a hindrance from arising, for being with a hindrance once it's arisen and getting to know it and then letting it go. And um, this month is just a great opportunity to get to know that. So before we turn to the wholesome part, I'd like to give you all an opportunity to get in small groups and explore uh, this energy stuff. So once again, if you could find, we'll be in groups of three. So if you could just find two other people and find yourself a place in the room, I will give you the question after you've found each other. Okay, so as we do this particular practice, 
Um, we're going to do this in the style of just each person saying one short thing and keep going around. So you say something really brief, like a word or a sentence. The next person says their sentence, the next person, and you just keep going around and around with that. Um, and what you're going to address is um, what experiences do you have with effort in your practice of meditation or daily life that have been helpful and where has effort been unhelpful? So this is an exploration around, you know, what amount of doing has been useful for you? What amount of doing has been too much, too little? Just exploring that. So we'll keep going around for the next about seven minutes or so. So just take your time. First of all, I, I'll, why don't you just reflect on that for a minute? What kind of effort has been helpful? What kinds of efforts have been unhelpful in, in your meditation practice and in your practice of the Dharma. And I'll ring the bell in one minute after you've had a minute to think about it, and then we'll start. So please begin when you're ready. So please thank your partners and then come back to our big circle and we're going to share a little bit about this. So it's, you know, always wonderful uh, to maybe share a little bit about what you learned or, you know, what inspiration came up from, from that for you. Um, so there are a couple mics out, and um, if if you could, if somebody could start and then just maybe pass the mic as we did before, and you know share if you feel moved to share something not only for your colleagues here but anyone who's listening online uh, to this. What did you learn about ways that you've used effort that's been helpful and not so helpful in your Dharma practice? Can I ask an alternate version of the question? Absolutely. So maybe if somebody from each group or many of the groups could just sort of summarize one or two kind of key takeaways for you. Were there themes? Was there something that kind of resonated for you? Or um, just in that way, um, sharing. So I know you were all in a group. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's no getting out of this one. <laughs> Thanks, Trudy, for getting us started. <laughs> okay, I'm getting us started. Um, we didn't so much um, say this helped me and this was a hindrance. 
but we just shared our experience of what it's like to work with this whole uh, subjective effort. And in doing that, I think we did, uh, I think we shared more of the positive than hindrances. (laughs) So can one of you say more? We talk about, um, I didn't know that Gil talked today about the treadmill or mill, wheel or something. Hamster huh? wheel. Hamster wheel. <laughs> oh, no, Gil didn't say anything about a hamster wheel. <laughs> wheel. That was me. <laughs> and uh, I think that it was kind of doing the effort and doing, doing, not knowing that you're doing something that is old. You don't have to be hurting yourself. It's much easier. It's kind of below this surface thing of do, 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 do. And I think we got that a little clearer, wasn't it? Yes. I like that. We simplify. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, the next group that would. So, so just just want to point out that Judy's willingness to start us did did raise the energy. Right? So this is this is right effort, right? So let's support that arising, that offering, and and uh, keep keep this momentum going in terms of supporting our interest in in exploring this and sharing in the groups. That's correct. There is no right and wrong. Yeah, wholesome. Wholesome effort. Let's think of it that way. A theme that seemed to pop up in my group was that um, we, uh, you know, we get frustrated at ourselves when we put too much effort into things, and it's just important to relax and and be with what is, and be kinder to ourselves, and get less frustrated at ourselves when, you know, when things go awry. <laughs> Great. Thank you. One of the things our group talked about was the influence of posture on energy. Mm-hmm. So, like, sometimes we might be slouched over and then find that straightening up will provide more energy, or we might be, like, too straightened up and find that relaxing physically is helpful to regulate the energy, too. So it's fun to play around with. So... Um I'm feeling aversion to this topic. Um, I thought that the question was kind of hard to um, come up. I was grateful that we had an opportunity to reflect on it because um, it it helped to think about it, but it didn't help bring um, words to be able to articulate. So I'm not entirely sure our group stayed on topic, but um, we talked a little bit about what was challenging and how we worked with the challenges I guess that is on topic very much on topic (laughs) thank you Um, so um, for me it was um, having kind of a a loose grip on constant effort I I do dwell uh, drift off into the um, bliss state or not paying attention and so um, but without 
feeling like I'm trying too hard, um, continual effort, I find there, there, I, I need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was some, some comments on the physical, like where does it feel physically in the body um, when something arises and, and allowing patient to kind of keep uh, an attention on what's happening mindfully in this moment, you know. Thank you. You know, I appreciate just in in your answer, your answer was a really nice model of right effort because it's like at at first sometimes it's not that easy to connect with one of these path factors or what's going on and then connecting with what's challenging about it and continuing to kind of see what your group was sharing. You know, no matter what you share here, there's just this unfolding or this development of understanding that I think is lovely. So thank you. Yeah. We haven't heard over here yet. We've got a volunteer. Or behind. Is there a group Nina. from the very back? Go ahead, Nina. Yeah. yeah. In our group, um, what I found was that what supports another, what effort they have, wouldn't work for another. So in other words, we each... Mm-hmm knew what helped, how much effort we needed to put into Mm -hmm. what we were doing. Great. Great. You know, um, if you're driving a car, how much you push on the gas pedal depends on the car you're driving, right? And not only that, but the terrain you're on, right? Going up a hill, down a hill. You know, even the same car in different situations needs different pressure on the gas. Thank you. So one thing that's come up when we were speaking, but actually hearing others speak made it more clear, was just um, it feels like there's times that uh, I need more energy to bring... uh, kind of awareness to a, a situation so I can step back and I like the word have a pause you know, between moments just to, to have that awareness and likewise it's, it's interesting to me sometimes I feel like I'm expending a lot of effort and then you know for and this is more my life off the cushion you know just my work life I expend a lot of effort and then it feels like I do have a lot of energy but uh, it's going in the wrong direction. So similar to like just uh, relaxing and having that sense of pause uh, is, is what's appropriate in the moment. Mm-hmm. So um, is it okay if I interject oh, absolutely, something before please. the break? Because yeah. I think this ties in well and I would like to invite you to do something um, reflecting on your break together. Because I, I, it's leading into the stuff that I want to talk about. And really, um, I want to ask you, invite you, to reflect on your aspiration. Why are you doing this practice? Why are you here? Why are you working on this? To really connect with this. Because I think this, if we can connect with this in a way with confidence and a sense of meaning energy arises naturally 
and supports our continued effort. But it needs to be really connected with this sense of what is our deepest aspiration? So my invitation to you is to reflect on this a little on the break and if you dare, share your aspiration with somebody during your break. So um, that's an invitation and um, yeah. Thank you. That's a good one. So over tea, see what your deep, deepest aspiration, you know, what bubbles up. And um, we will come back. I'll ring the bell in about uh, 10 minutes. So enjoy the break. <laughs>